Hey. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Carol Urban. Um, thank you so much for coming. Um, we're gonna have a little chatter about chatter. Um, I, I, I really, I was saving that. Um, so uh, I, I wanna get a little demographic of the room so that we, we as the panel know how we can answer questions and discuss the topics so that it's most helpful to you. So if I can get a little show of hands of how many of you actually work in audio post-production. Freaking super. All right, sweet. Awesome. Okay. And, and how many of you are students and or would, would say that you're beginners or learning about audio post-production? Awesome. Okay. How many of you are in production? Awesome. Very good. Okay, cool. Awesome. How many of you did not raise your hand for anything and are going to be a totally mystery to me? Ah, oh, you. Ah, okay. <laughs> I love it. Oh, was Tom back there? That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and an engineer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Um, so we have a, a lovely panel today. Um, I kind of roughly put everybody in order of how dialogue kind of goes down. Um, I'm going to use a little cheat sheet here at first because these guys are so accomplished that it's kind of impossible to remember all of this. It's you, you guys are in for a treat. Um, so we've got uh, Phil Palmer here. He's uh, currently, in addition to, you know, kind of, you know, Mac Daddy of on-set dialogue, um, he is uh, the vice president of the Cinema Audio Society. He's the treasurer of IATSE Local 695, which is really fabulous that he stays uh, so participatory in the community. Um, he's also really well known for his incredible leaps and bounds in, in, in production mixing for Glee. So it's really impressive. Yeah. Um, he's currently working on Better Call Saul uh, for AMC, and he's currently uh, mixing The Politician. Uh, it's a Netflix series with uh, Ryan Murphy Television. So, yeah. Next, we have Kimberly Wilson. Kimberly Wilson comes to us from WB, although she's done quite a bit of work for Sony and Disney as well. Um, she has over 60 films to her credit. She is a uh, sound supervisor, a dialogue supervisor. Um, she is uh, fantastic, have, has worked with such directors such as Martin Scorsese and Spike Lee, just, you know, if anybody heard of them. And um, she's done uh, some past television credits are HBO's The Wire, Fox's Empire. Um, she just completed the first season of Love Is for OWN and is co-supervising CBS's Elementary. Give it up for Kim Wilson. Excellent. Next on our hit list is Andrew Di Cristofario. Did I, did I mess that up? It sounds very expensive. <laughs> De Cristofaro. There you go. I'm terrible with names. Sorry, I apologize. It's horrible. And he's kind of a big deal, too, so it's really embarrassing. So he has uh, over 100 feature film credits, uh, uh, films to his credit, and he actually received a Best Sound Editing Oscar nomination in 2014 for Unbroken. Guys, that's big. Yes. And he's very humble, too, because he also wanted to, to make sure that we, we mentioned that he got it together with his colleague, Becky Sullivan. So that's very sweet. Um, also, he has uh, worked on The Heat, Iron Man 3, Spy, and the recent remake of Ghostbusters. Um, and he's currently working on the second season. Uh, you did work on the first season as well of uh, OA. Have you guys watched OA on Netflix? I was telling him that was a sleeper for me. Nobody told me about it, but it was amazing. So let's give it up for Andrew. Excellent work. Now we uh, go right into the uh, dub stage here at the end. We've got Gary Bourgeois. 
Now, Gary is interesting because he wrote this bio for me and it's like, oh yeah, I've spent 50 years doing some re-recording mixing and I'm over at Roundabout now and I'm like, yeah, that is such an undersell. So <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to mention a couple of his credits. If you guys don't know who Gary is, I'm going to IMDB him. It's impressive. I had a hard time picking stuff to mention, so I just mentioned stuff that I nerd on personally. Um, so he just recently in television uh, finished mixing uh, SEAL Team 6 recently. He worked on Timeless. He's worked on SWAT. Um, some of the very long list of films that he's worked on. Uh, most recently was Criminal with Ryan Reynolds. Um, also, and these, now we get into some of my nerdy favorites, he worked on Bad Santa and Bernie. I loved Bernie and Charlie's Angels and just some really cool stuff. And he's also one of the very few people in this town that uh, when I went asking questions about dialogue chains and, and dialogue, he gave me some real straight, honest, I got a lot of knowledge from this guy. You guys are in for a treat. Give it a hand for Gary. And last but not least, uh, we have Matt Waters. Matt Waters is a four-time Emmy-winning re-recording mixer. He specializes in sound effects. Um, however, you will learn very quickly how important that is uh, to our discussion on dialogue. It's super important to have an excellent sound effects mixer at your side. Like, your dialogue just can't, it can't roll. It, can't, it didn't happen. He's got 29 years in the business. He's worked uh, from an assistant all the way to a re-recording mixer, a sound designer, a sound supervisor. Um, he has 20 years mixing as a re-recording mixer. Some of his credits that you might have heard of our Game of Thrones, um, Lost in Space. Um, recently, uh, I Feel Pretty. I really liked that film. Um, I Can Only Imagine and the very soon to be released If Beale Street Could Talk. So give a hand for Matt Waters. All right, let's do this. <laughs> um, so dialogue. How does the dialogue come to you? Let's start with you, Phil. How does dialogue origin? Um, it actually, we, we were talking a little bit before this. Um, uh, the the conception that it, it starts with the script and and the actors begin, and that's where we acquire it. it actually, for us, happens before that because we, I think, I, talking about uh, the the script, having meetings, taking any overture you can um, prior to a project, and finding out your locations, that's really where it all starts. Learning about where you're going to be recording, what you can do to mitigate any extraneous noises or whatever that you can do to help the performance happen. Because as, as we all know, that it, it's all about the performance. And the best we can do is, is record the performance and kind of get out of the way of it while still capture it. So um, we... For me, getting getting the the dialogue is, is about preparing yourself for it. So, on the day, sometimes we get there and sort of the the, the cards were given. But if we can give the opportunity to make some choices with production, or make some choices with with wardrobe, or or make some choices with how they're going to do something, it can um, benefit the production way down the line, as, as we were talking earlier, the, the cascading effect of a bad day of recording dialogue lasts for months. Uh, I, I, I'm done with it when the day's over. I just hand it off, and I'm like, oh, it's your problem now. But, um, but that's not what we want to do. We want to record really good dialogue. Um, the, the goal is not to get out of the day unscathed, although I kind of felt like that yesterday. Um, yeah, uh, sometimes, honestly, it is. But it, the idea is to, 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 re 
to record sound the best we can. And so to do that, um, sometimes it requires a lot of effort. Um, and so working with the creative team to find the best um, way to do that as, pos as possible is, is what I try and do. Um, I was given a situation recently where uh, we had to shoot in a, a, a giant warehouse and the lighting was uh, in, in the physical space in the warehouse. They wanted to use ex existing lighting. It was terrible. The buzz was horrible. And so we recorded it ahead of time. We sent it down the post chain so that they could get a, get a chance to look at it and see what they were going to have to deal with. They made the change. They, they changed the lighting for us. So that's where it really begins is beforehand. But then, yes, we were on set. We record with microphones. Sometimes it's lab microphones buried deep into clothing, which you guys really complain about. <laughs> Don't worry, if you're complaining about it, we've been complaining about it a lot before that. Um, and then uh, it, with, with uh, our hope is, is that we can clean up the dialogue in, in the close-ups with boom mics, and, and that's usually our goal. Start, start wide, work your way down. Um, and then my team is a team of, I've got two people that work with me, a boom operator and a utility. Most of the time by the end of the shot, there's two booms swinging out there. And um, depending upon how many actors, there's a lot of microphones. And what is it that you typically, I mean, I'm sure it changes for every situation and every job, but what is it that you typically hand off mm -hmm. to the next process in, in the chain? Yeah, well, so... When, when I'm recording, I mean, we get in the weeds of like what I record, but that's, I mean, everybody, you know, it's, we record, we record a, a mixed track of all of our, of all of our, uh, of our actors and booms. And, and that mono um, track is usually at the top of the track stack of, of a bunch of ISOs. And we hand that off to, uh, at the end of the day, or what we call a break off. Sometimes that's halfway through the day. But uh, we hand it off to um, a person who, sort of compiles it into uh, the other camera assets, and then that gets taken to uh, the post house where it's sunk up, because we're dual system. Excellent. And uh, that brings us actually to who would be at the post house, um, which would be our, our sound supervisors and also um, our edit assistants as well. So um, I'm going to move on here to, to Kimberly. Do you prefer Kimberly, or is, is Kim. Uh, either or is fine. Uh, okay. Um, so, what do you get, and and what is your what is your goal uh, before it, it moves on to the next uh, process? Uh, my goal as a sound supervisor uh, and dialogue editor is to deliver a smooth and balanced track to uh, the mixer. Uh, typically, uh, the picture department hands off. Um, uh, assist, assistant editors or the picture editor hands off uh, an EDL picture uh, AFS to our uh, sound assistants. Uh, they do their magic and we have uh, uh, sessions that are given to us. Uh, in film, it's usually broken down to five or six reels, uh, 20, 15 to 20 minute uh, reels uh, per movie. Um, and for television, uh, we'll get it broken down into acts or we'll actually get the show, the entire show. Uh, and then typically, just like you were saying, uh, it's broken down to uh, we get a mixed track in that session. Uh, we get an assembly uh, and it is broken down to the mixed track on the first track. Uh, we'll have a boom track next and then the ISOs uh, will follow. 
Uh, and like I said, um, you know, never trust anyone who says, you know, oh, it sounds great, it's, it's recorded great. Well, yes, that's, that's the goal and that's what we all hope for. But until you actually don, on, uh, don your headphones and you actually listen to what's really going on, because they might be uh, used to listening to the mix track, um, but that's everything that's married. Um, but when you get down to the nitty gritty and you listen to those ISOs or you listen to the boom track, um, that will tell you the true story. And it is paramount that for dialogue, and I tell this to, um, I'm, I'm wor actually working with a young woman right now, it's so important to understand decay. Decay and rhythm. Um, Everything in sound has a, a natural decay and a natural rhythm. And if you understand that process within a, within a scene as you go from shot to shot, um, if you're able to understand that little rule, everything is going to flow seamlessly. Uh, if not, you're gonna have um, moments where your dialogue bumps in and that's not good, that's not what we want. I also, when we're preparing our tracks uh, for the mixer, I try to th uh, think of the, the mixer uh, when I'm, uh, you know, um, I, I guess I'm saying I'd like to deliver something to the stage, to the mixer that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I don't want you looking for things. I don't want you wondering where things are. Everything has to be laid out in a clean and kind of uniform way. My boom tracks on top, my lab tracks on the bottom, um, and um, that's pretty much it. So, yeah. We uh, we also uh, all, uh, sometimes in uh, uh, on the dub stage we call that angles, matching the angles of of one line to another. So you have that that kind of shot of the, the guy kind of far away, and it's got a little bit of a, a decay or a feeling on it, and then Absolutely. all of a sudden you've got the the close up, and it's got a completely fe different feeling. It, it is quite the challenge to make everything blend and sound it beautiful. It is, and I. You know, there aren't any rules in dialogue editing. You know, there are times when you're trying to fix things and they just don't work. And sometimes it's good to just take a breath, walk away, and, you know, maybe a little later you'll have uh, a different energy within you to help you solve problems. Um, and just, you know, try to think outside the box uh, when you're trying to s solve uh, dialogue problems because there are solutions. Um, it's almost like solving a puzzle, um, but you can make it work. Yeah. And actually, Andrew, has a. you're also a sound supervisor. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if you can talk about maybe some of the aspects of uh, ADR or some of the aspects of, uh, a, a, uh, of interfacing with the... Uh, wants and desires uh, in a spotting session with how they deal with dialogue. Sure. Um, well, I want to. Can I tap yeah. off oh, some of some please. of what you said yes. as well? Like, Amen. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and one thing we were talking beforehand because I, I feel like from our end in the post production, which is you know we get to sit in our lovely rooms and everything, and we're not on the set going. Oh, there's a generator and someone's going, okay, we got to go. We got to get the shot in ten minutes or whatever. I mean, they're up against insurmountable odds. I mean, I would assume. <laughs> Um, and but the one thing I've noticed lately, and it is you know I, I wish there was more um, communication between our end and and the, the mixers that are there on the in the field. Absolutely. Um, because I, I feel like I, one thing I've noticed recently is that we'll get a mix track, which is essential for the film editor, 
you know, which has, because the, the film editor doesn't want to deal with 12, 18. I got a show recently that had, I think, 18 different ISOs. And there's no way they're going to be digging around through that. They just want to look at dailies and cut the right, you know, scene. But is for some reason, and I'm not exactly sure what's going on out there, unless it's just for protection, but the ISO tracks we're getting consistently are very low. I don't know if you've seen that as well, but um, relative to what we're seeing, and, and it's a question that I'm, you know, but because we never use the mix track. Um, I, I think some people assume we do. I mean, we sometimes are stuck using the mix track, but it's got layers of additional noise, and we're doing our best to clean that out and without destroying the you know, the integrity of the, of the vocal. So we very much then go through painstakingly, you know, this this person's I said to this one, to this one, to that one, and, you know, and we assemble it so that when we hand it off to the mixers, um, you know, like you said, it, it's an art and it is a puzzle. I mean, it, that's what's beautiful about dialogue editing. If you're a puzzle solver or you're very analytical, you kind of know right away because we all speak and understand, well, some of us understand, I don't understand <laughs> it, my kids do, but, um, you know, the human language and how it sounds. And so you know if you solve that puzzle piece or that problem, you go, oh yeah, that works. That just feels natural now. Versus when I'm doing sound effects, I'm like, wow, this is perfect. And then I play it for someone else and they go, what were you thinking? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> completely subjective. Um, so, you know, they're, you know, dialogue and effects are, you know, the same but totally different beasts. Anyway, so back to what you were asking. <laughs> No, Sorry to lovely. go rambling, but that's it was lovely. listening to what you were saying. I'm like, yeah. yeah, totally. But I would love more communication with, mm -hmm. with our, our, you know, our partners in this thing. I mean, because this is the chain right here. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And the foundation of the track. It doesn't matter what movie it is, whatever. The foundation of the track is the dialogue. Your reference point for what is loud, what isn't loud, what I mean, everything is based on that dialogue track. So. I mean, it is, that's it. It's the foundational block that everything else affects Bee Gees music is referenced to and played to. And I mean, so it is the key to the whole track. So when we get to ADR, um, you know. Very you, good. <laughs> really good transition. <laughs> see how we, when we get to the ADR part, we, uh, and a lot of times that have worked with, you know, directors that were actors or so forth. And I mean, there's always a lot of resistance to ADR. And I get that. Um, but I always say, let's try it. And you never know, because I've seen the cases where it's been improved, where performance is improved, and I've seen where it's been completely devastated. So you still prepare the tracks that you were given and hope to salvage that. That's always the goal, um, because it is hard to capture that. But I, I've also seen where magic has happened, and you just go, holy cow, that's, that's better. you know. Um, and if it's done right, you know, like Unbroken is a great example where Becky, <laughs> Becky handled all of that. And the entire, there's a long section of the film it, when they're out in the ocean, and Angie did not want us to loop that sequence at all. But when she shot it, she shot it in a tank next to a freeway and an amusement park. And they're supposed to be isolated. So, you know, the notes we get in a spotting session, the best that, notes... That just sounds like a dub stage dare. Oh, my God. <laughs> the best notes that I get from a director are not very specific about, I want this and I want that. It's I, I'm usually like... Tell me the emotional journey we're taking here. What am I trying? Because, you know, I, probably X number of years into my career, I realized, all right, yeah, I'm supposed to put a door knock here. I'm supposed to put a car engine here. But then once you get the nuts and bolts of what and how to do this, then you start saying, 
wait, I'm supposed to be telling them something with these sounds. So it's not just a casual door knock. You know, it's, is it anxious? Is it laid back? Is it sloppy? I mean, you're conveying, you're telling story with sound. You are scoring the film with sound. And so what puts that character, pushes them away? What does this? So when, you know, so that's the emotional journey. And with Angie, we looped the whole scene in the ocean with these actors, and it took, it took a long time. Um, and Becky did, I, I don't even know, I mean, she had them in dark rooms, she wouldn't give them water, she had them on couches and this, and I mean, <laughs> to get them in that same performance. And so we basically mixed the scene one way and mixed it with the production, and we had, you know, the best, great mixed talent, and cleaned the dialogue as best we could without destroying the integrity of the voice, played it one way for her, and then played it with the loops. And you went from you know, watching it to being there with them. And she just went, holy shit. <laughs> Literally her words, she went, holy shit. She goes, well, we have to do this. <laughs> we're like, well, we already did. <laughs> and so, ta-da. And so anyway, so that's, so our goal is to give the mixers the best chance to then, because then, you know, we get to sit offline and come and go and do our hours, whatever. But then they're in the hot chair and they've got the light on them and they've got, you start at this time, you get up and, you know, and they're in the hot seat. Um, and, you know, I, we get the enjoyment of, of working with the filmmakers, you know, three months, six months in advance, and then overseeing it all the way through the mix. And they're, you know, the equal part of the collaboration for us is, you know, great mixers take the tracks we give them and then introduce something else to it. You know, it's not like, oh, it's set, here it is. It's like, when you work with talented mixers, unlike Matt, <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah. I, I've been Matt, made aware. Matt and I go way back. <laughs> Matt like and I go six way back. feature films, they said minimum. That's Andrew's like at least six. Oh, six, yeah. At no, least Matt six. and I have spent many late nights with uh, T-Bone Burnett showing up at 3 a.m. in the morning on Crazy Heart. Remember that? It's like, we're like, what is going on? <laughs> anyway, so... Did I answer any of yes, your questions? Yes, you did. You okay. Yeah, you did. No really. Yes, you did. Sorry, I just rambled. <laughs> no, no, no. That was lovely. <laughs> I get so I love what we do. I mean, I, I, I just start getting impassioned about it. So I apologize blessed, for rambling on. All right, please. So, Sorry. so we've we've got we have the dialogue uh, coming from script. We've got it hitting uh, some tape. We've got it being or hard drives. Uh, we, we've got it uh, being assembled, going through uh, our assistant uh, editors and, and being put together and, and delivered to our supervisors. Our supervisors are having their spotting sessions. They're cutting up, choosing the best mics, and then they deliver these tracks on stage. Everything's all cut, and it's amazing. And then Gary sits down and... What do you do, man? How do you start this? Yeah, what do you what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> I start I start yeah. cursing about all the rest of the process, you know? Yeah, when um, you sit down at that desk, they, like and you're looking thinking? at a scene, what yeah. what what's your first what's the beginning of your process? Okay, well, for, uh, first of all, I have a couple of thoughts. I want to pick up where you said and these guys take over with the magic, but um, before I get to that, I want to say first of all that um, uh, I've noticed over the last uh, few years, I don't know, five to seven years, that the production uh, recordings have gotten so much better. Um, overall, on the average, they're just so much better. I have um, fewer problems than I used to get. Now, be that as it may, I also have editors that supply me tracks that have already been uh, cleaned up to a great extent, so, you know, Sometimes you go back to the original and go, oh my, thank God that these guys got hold of it. But I just found in general that, that the, the 
production has gotten so much better and it makes it so much easier for me. And you're not thrown any less difficulty. You're thrown the same degree of difficulty. So thank you and thank all the production mixers that have been working so hard. Everybody's got pretty much the same equipment. It's a matter of attitude and work ethic with production mixers. Um, and that makes the biggest difference, so thank you. First of all. So now, now we'll talk about the magic, ha ha ha. Um, when I uh, first get uh, dialogue tracks to uh, work with, um, quite often, as I already mentioned, that it's been handed to me and it's been, a, any problematic dialogue has been uh, routed around in certain ways, either different takes or they found a different mic or um, they've isotoped or you know, processed to a certain degree. And so I already, I, I get that. And uh, hopefully I'll get that having been done tastefully um, and not overly done. But because of the, that possibility, um, I've, you know, first of all, I have a, a certain template uh, for my dialogue and the audio tracks that have been kind of dragged into my, my template. But part of my template is that like dialogue one is visible to me, but dialogue uh, X1 is the unprocessed original track. If a track has been processed in dialogue one, I, on, on the second track, um, which I basically put in my show and hide and I don't show it until I need it. Um, in every case, uh, if a track has been processed, I have the original track underneath it I can access and I can redo that processing if I feel it's, it's warranted or necessary. Quite often, the stuff has been done beautifully, et cetera. But one of the first things I do is I just like l open the strafing run and I just open up the tracks and I listen because almost every editor has imported or done something with this, the sound and they all use different monitor levels in the editing room. In the mix stage, we have a reference point that we have to mix at. And so quite often I get different set of levels coming in for the dialogue as an overall. And so I'll just like listen to like three or four different spots and I'm like, I'm 16B down um, overall. So I'll just clip gain up 60B or you know, raise the, the, the levels um, like 60B. So I'm like working within a certain range, right? Um, but during that process also, I'm also analyzing what I'm hearing as far as the dialogue track goes. Did this production get, mixer give me uh, a certain quality that I can delve into? Do, what do I have to work with? How, do I, how, how can I uh, be allowed to shape the uh, tone or the timbre um, for certain really wonderful actors that have got emotional reads? And I'm like, I got to take noise out, but it, all that sort of stuff. But I'm looking for an overall tone to the dialogue that I can be consistent with throughout. Because if I listen to th three or four different spots and I start, uh, start the dialogue and, it, and it's, I've got it warm and rich, and then like, I know that there's three or four, four spots down the road where the recording is short. In other words, I'm not, there's nothing there to make warm and rich. Then I have to be a little more uh, sensitive about where my starting point is, you know? So the first thing I do is like, I listen to the overall quality of the production and what it's gonna allow me to dig out, you know, and make, make sound beautiful. And quite often it's not just a matter of hearing the dialogue and just having the clarity, although, that's ultimately really an important part is I want clarity. 
I want people to understand the dialogue. I, I want to be able to have the effects mixer encroach safely and so that we can feel where we live and all that sort of stuff. I love it. Uh, like, safely. Encroach encroach was the was the killer. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Back, back up beats. Back up beats. But anyway, that so you know that so you want that clarity and you want the dynamics and all that sort of stuff. But you're above and beyond that, you also want to set that tone of I, I want this to be screechy or like irritating or I want this to be so warm and rich and I want to hear the emotion in this person's voice and it's like where where does that emotion lie is, is it in the chest or is it quivering in the in the throat I mean I I look for and assess that and then I see how best I can you know do that there's lots of ways lots of plugins lots of tricks lots of ways of getting to that point and I'm sure we'll probably get a little bit of discussion about that at some point. I mean, I have a, a whole bag of tricks. Some people have tons and tons of plugins. I have six basic ones that I, I use. Um, they're the best. Um, <laughs> I was a beta tester on all. No, no, I, I'll tell you what. To, I'm happy. You know what? I'll tell you. Here's one really important thing that I found for, for a number of years, I, you know, it takes you a long time to build a template with all your plugins and all your settings and all that sort of stuff. And it's for most mixers, that's something that's really coveted. That's my, that's my sound, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and I was covetous of that myself for a long time. And then I was at a sort of a event, it was mostly students. And I brought my up on the screen, I brought my template and I said, here, this is my template. This is my starting point with all my plugins. I'm going to show you everything. And they were like, oh my God, nobody ever does that. And I never, I started to realize the importance of, first of all, handing that education off to everybody. Like you might as well, thank you. Um, you might as well have a great starting point, just like I do. But one of the biggest things I realized was I don't care whether you use my starting point or not. It's a smart idea. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately, ultimately, it's like it's, my stuff's going to sound like what I do to it. Your stuff's going to sound like what you do to it. Just because that's a starting point, that's certainly not what you hear or I hear. It's, it's going to be different no matter what. So share the information. And I got to tell you, I, I've gotten such great responses. And it's like there's... It's, nobody hires me because of my template. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> um, but that, that's one of the biggest things is, is when we started getting to, into Marvel and all these places where you can't go into the mix stage anymore. You can't visit people because of the privacy and all that sort of stuff, the security. And I, I realized we can't learn from each other anymore. The mixers, when I mixed here for 10 years, we used to go and sit and watch each other mix when we had time and whatnot, and we would discuss what we're using. There was an education process that we all grew from. That process has put a big halt to that process. You can't go visit people. And then I realized, you know, I'm part of that problem. I don't share my stuff. Now I share everything, and it's no skin off my nose, and everybody's, like, you know, taking advantage. So that's a good thing. That's where I'll end it for now. Thanks. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, and coach on that. <laughs> now, now Matt's in the hot seat here. So Matt is uh, not only is he a sound effects um, re-recording mixer, but he also has um, uh, quite a bit of experience as a single person mixer and in dialogue mixing as well. So what I uh, 
I, he's really fabulous at what he does. Um, but what I find is valuable in a lot of uh, sound effects mixers is the in-depth awareness of kind of what their partner is going through and, and when they can jump in and make things work, especially in the case of high noise scenes um, and or uh, what uh, a lot of producers are calling the emotional reality or the emotional bubble that they want to feel that their characters are in, uh, which is devoid of, of a lot of sound um, uh, for, for a, a emotional effect, um, or, or even just to sell some ADR. Uh, so, so Matt, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you hug the dialogue uh, and, and, and make, that, uh, make that work. Uh, sure. Uh, first, I want to comment on everybody. No. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, w- I, w- I, w- I would say that uh, uh, the tag on to Andrew is uh, communication. Like uh, nowadays with email and uh, cell phones and stuff like that, uh, we communicate all the time a lot more than, well, maybe it was just my experience. But now on all the shows we do uh, or even films, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, the producer has the contact list and we'll email them and say, hey, how's it going? Where are they going to be the mixers? Can you send us something? And they're usually like, yeah, that's great. Let me, let me, let me see. And then all of a sudden that dialogue starts working. And then, you know, they're usually, uh, production sound mixers are usually on the uh, set and they're somewhere far, far away. And then when they're in L.A., we always uh, tell, tell them, hit us up. Come on to the stage. Uh, you know, we'll show you what we're doing and how it's playing. And like, really? Okay, great. So hopefully it does. I think that's if you guys leave here with anything. Yeah, use the email. Use your phone. Call them. We're friendly people. It's okay. I mean, you're gonna, it's going to help out a lot. As far as uh, effects mixing goes, uh, with regards to it, I definitely, like Andrew said, the dialogue is the king. Uh, (laughs) uh, It's okay. I've been to therapy numerous years. It's okay. Uh, But but it is true. And so uh, I know that, uh, just to get a little off topic, I've I've gone on to some mix stages, and uh, the, the mixers have headphones on, and they mix with headphones. And I... I've been uh, on a mix stage and mixed with someone who uh, has said, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to go on the headphones. I go, okay, well, I'll just sit here because Andrew's right. I'm not going to mix anything without the dialogue. I need to hear it. That's my reference. If, if Gary wants to play it super low, well, good. Okay, here I go. I'm going to go down low too. I'm always listening to the dialogue. When I'm mixing, uh, when I'm mixing effects, uh, not to get into a tutorial about it, but when I do it, you know, I'm, I'm obviously taking an inventory. I don't know the tracks that I'm working on. I didn't sound design the stuff generally. When I come in, I'm like listening, blah, 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 blah. but I'm always listening to the dialogue. Always, always, always. Especially when you do uh, anything but like the comedies or something like Andrew and I have done. Um, like we did a, uh, I did a couple stints on Ghostbusters with him and there are things flying all over the place and they've got, uh, not only do they have the production dialogue that's going on, but uh, the director loved having uh, offstage dialogue that they looped and jokes and stuff like that. I couldn't get an effect in edgewise. But, uh, but in doing that, I'm sitting there listening and I'm like, oh, there's a line. And then I'll hear like a laser that goes over the line and that's just ruining the joke. So I'll duck out of it quick or I'll might cut out of it quick. I'm always, always trying to protect the dialogue. Then when it comes when I'm first mixing, uh, I definitely lay down a background track for, for these guys to mix their dialogue against because they can, you know, they don't have to work as hard to EQ the dialogue perhaps or, or oh, good, I don't need to worry about that noise because we've got some good ambiences going on there. So I'll generally dial that in first before I get to the effects or Foley. And I definitely want them to have the support as they're going through the tracks. And as they're going through the tracks, I'm also listening and I don't mind speaking up. I go, I can't hear that line. 
You know, like, what, what are they saying? Or what are they saying? You know, and I'm always thinking to myself, am I in the way? Is it me? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, so it, uh, it's always fun. Uh, people that work with me just think I'm the lowest common denominator. If I can hear it, they're good. They're not going to get a note on it. Uh, but um, so anyway, the... Um, but that is a big deal. I think it's really important to always listen to the dialogue. And then also, as Andrew was saying, and, and everyone is, it's storytelling. So as I'm sitting there, I'm also saying, you know, I might go over to, you know, it's good to communicate to your mixing partner. I don't see that as much anymore when I walk on stage. As I, you know, I'll say, Gary, hey, can you give me a little room with the music here? I've got to get this one thing to play because it helps tell the story and, and all that stuff. And so it's really a team effort from all the way down. So like, it's great having this panel and stuff like that. And, and and seeing that it is a complete team effort as you go through the process. And, you know, that's that's what I do. Could you talk a little bit about how sound effects really helps to sell um, the, the uh, transition? Actually, Gary, please uh, jump in. And if Kim and, and Andrew have anything to say as well about how uh, effects and dialogue, their marriage really helps to sell the, the transition of ADR to production and production ADR, the believability of performance. Well, I can just say this real quickly on this one uh, film, this Beale Street. Uh, I noticed the uh, my partner Anna Lee was uh, mixing with that, and she was struggling. They wanted they didn't want to use the ADR on this one line, and it, and it had a really bad uh, car buy come over it, and they're inside a restaurant or whatnot. And so I noticed her struggling with that and whatnot. And then I just literally took, I knew uh, an area of the film where I had a car by, and I literally just grabbed a car by, stuck it in there, and, and just kind of rose in, you know, two or three seconds ahead of time, and then made it come out so it doesn't cut out. I mean, basically, just getting back to Kimberly's point is, is, is if it's smooth, you don't notice it. You know, no one really notices noise once they just, they just really, as long as it's smooth and isn't choppy, it just feels real, feels natural. So that's what I try and do in the effects, and is just try and, um, you know, help them out with any kind of smooth angles or tough angle changes. Then I'll do that. And that philosophy is employed a lot in the uh, dialogue editorial and, and supervision in the tracks, even before they're given to the dub stage, yes? Kind sure. of finding the end of a car by. Well, or yeah, I mean, we, we definitely try and smooth that out, or, you know, we have the tools now, like Gary was saying, is we. We really do clean the dialogue. Um, hopefully, it's transparent to the mixers because that's the 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 devil is overdoing it, and then you you might as well just not have done it at all. Um, and you know, it's do no harm is is the rule. And um, but you can you know find ways. I mean, we're at this point we have layers of people where they're overlapping on mics, and we're going in there and hand painting, you know, out. You can see, and so that they're no longer talking over each other. I mean, and we can do that. Um, it takes a lot of a lot of time, and you need a lot of time in editorial, and you need to walk away and make sure you didn't. And we're, I mean, when I'm doing it, I'm constantly A-being between the original original and this, and, I, and, and all I'm listening to is not the noise. All I'm listening to is the voice. I'm like, if it sounds like I affected it, start over. Yeah. Um, and there is no one setting on, you know, Isotope is unbelievable, but there's no one setting. You, 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 there's, I mean, my screen is littered with, and I'm like, okay, in this frequency and then here and there. And I mean, you, you have to go in and, and know the tools and, and paint with it, you know? I, I, I'm really glad that you <clears throat> talked about A being uh, the original, and because a lot of people say, look, I cleaned it all out, and you're hearing all sorts of artifacting and whatnot. And you're like, did you A B? Because you'll then you'll notice extremely the, right away the difference and th that's what you don't want right if i may um throw out a, a little trick that i found yeah, out please 
because uh, isotope. M mine is gin. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's vodka, so well, we're yeah. good. We're good. <laughs> Matt and I have them all, and sometimes okay. beer. Those are our favorite right. plugins. And tequila. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to mention, because, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting a lot of uh, tracks that are isotoped. Um, and sometimes because of the, there's a, large, a great deal of noise floor and they've gone maybe a little too much or whatever, you know. Um, but I learned a, a kind of a trick that seemed to be not being used and maybe you do. So if you do, great. Um, but I found that if I isotope a track um, and don't go too far, um, render it, and then take that, the section that we were, you know, the noise, we had the noise, re-sample um, it and isotope it again and do it, in and, and do it in layers, like two layers, because it's now looking at a isotoped track. So it's it, rather than going really deep with one pass, go, a, you know, a little bit with one pass and go a little bit more with the other pass. And you don't get the same degree of almost no artifacting that way. It's just a little, I thought I'd throw that out there. I'd also like to say, uh, I like what you said, because you're not, you know, a lot of uh, mixers that start out, they're EQing noise, and they're not EQing the dialogue, or making the dialogue sound warm or whatnot. So I think uh, so I worked with someone who said that to me a long, long time ago, and I, that always hit me, like, you're there to mix the dialogue, not the noise, you know, don't worry about that. Right. Stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah. It is pretty incredible how much noise is acceptable to the human ear if it is smooth and consistent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, that, and that's yeah, the thing. Good backgrounds. Good, yeah, I mean, because you got good soup. Yeah. Soup. yeah that's right. Well, good a lot of times yeah. it's the it's the things that bother you, and you you listen to, and you know, when I mean, I love to sit and watch mixer, you know, dialogue. I mean, I love watching all of them, um, but when they're you know watching a dialogue because that's what this is about, you know, and you see like their approach, and everybody's got a different you know bag of tricks, but a lot of them are very similar in terms of how they approach, you know. Um, uh, and, and the key that, you know, there was a point in my career when I realized, because people will work on a scene and they go, that sounds really good. And then you do another scene and this scene sounds really good. But when you watch the movie back, it, it, it sounds like, well, it sounded fine in this scene. It sounds fun in this scene, but it doesn't sound, they don't relate. I mean, the key to mixing dialogue, you know, and cleaning it beautifully is consistency from the start of reel one to the end of reel five, six, whatever it is that that track sounds the same dialogue wise. It's the same voice. You but you know? also have to be careful. Sorry. Yeah, no, please. You also have to be careful. You don't put people to sleep because you can make, you can over smooth over like be consistent. You got to look for your dynamics that. Yeah, that no, I didn't break, mean, break I didn't mean up, that. You know? I just meant in terms of cleaning because yeah. people tend yes. to clean and yes. like, yeah, oh, this right. scene is really clean with this. But, you're you know, right. um, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I, I don't like flattening it at all. <laughs> and I, I think that's important as far as uh, what you mentioned about using your isotopes and uh, your dialogue sounding artificial. Uh, I try to tell the dialogue editors, uh, Leave it for the mixer to clean up the noise. If you have any egregious pops or clicks or anything like that, then yes, we'll go and use the declicker, dethumper. But anything bigger than that or a little more complicated, I'm going to leave it to uh, the mixer to handle. Um, because when I'm, you know, uh, 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 reviewing dialogue and an editor has uh, used a broad stroke kind of isotope mm -hmm. on that entire pass. I mean, it's you can hear it, yeah. and it sounds artifacting, and that's not good. And then also, there's also a luxury of working in film 
uh, versus television. Uh, when you're uh, faced with problematic dialogue, you know, uh, in film, they're a little more open to that dialogue being uh, looped. You know, my approach um, as a supervisor, uh, as a dialogue person, is to make production work. Um, but in television, you don't always have that luxury. And uh, I've worked on a show where there was very little ADR, and I'm like, you're not going to ADR this line? Nope. Okay, well, you know, I have to be use my imagination and think outside the box to solve that problem. And, you know, working in television has, I, I tell people, it's been my continua uh, continuing education um, because you have to make certain things work. And you'd be surprised what you can come up with mm -hmm. if you just take your time. So. I'm going to open the uh, the floor to some questions uh, before we end the panel. But I'm, just, I'm also going to squeeze in here real quick. You mentioned something to me that surprised me, Phil, just now. Um, you said, yes, in production, we always look to try and find smooth noise as well. Is that is that something where you determine whether a, a location? Because I I am post, so I admit that this is I did not realize that you guys were making a determination as to whether something is acceptable or not based on right. smooth, consistent noise versus right. something that's more staccato or may yeah. obscure a particular word. Um, yeah, we'll go into places and they'll you know I mean we're we're uh, many times they, locations are chosen way before we're we're entered into the equation. Um, we're, we're we're given the opportunity to maybe go on a location scout just and what I call that is sort of seeing your impending doom um, <laughs> And that's what a location scout is. This is the place that you're gonna hate the most And then you know and then later the the, the gaffer comes to you and goes. Oh, I was warning you about this place <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like and we're gonna put the generator right there <laughs> Hey, but it's consistent. Yeah, um, so and <laughs> Can't you just flip the phase on that and put the mic in the other direction? Uh, I, we hear everything. And so a lot of times we do. We, we'll be like, okay, well, um, this location does have uh, a, 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 noise, a, a noise bed, noise floor that is elevated, but I can get signal to noise in my dialogue track, you know, and it's there. And knowing that you guys have a lot of tools as long as I've got the signal to noise, I'm giving them a, a nice place to hatch at that low end. <laughs> or that, that, that. Yeah, it's, that's what I was, and I, I didn't mean to, I, I was thinking about my statement earlier. It sounded yeah. like I was accusatory. It was more no. questioning of like I, the ISOs. It's, it's, getting, it's, the, it's all yeah. about signal to noise. Yeah. If we can get a good signal, then we've got a good shot of fixing yeah. it. Or, or, you know, yeah. just making it work somehow. Yeah, I totally get it. And, and a lot of times on our ISO tracks, it, there's just something that we have to account for in the ISO track, so that this is great. I'm speaking to an entire room of post-production people. Because why are your ISO tracks so low? I'm like, well, do at any point during the scene, do you see it almost peak? Well, yes. It's not too low. <laughs> and so, because that's, I mean, we can't mix the ISO tracks too, but we can, we, we have to create a, a signal to noise gain structure on the ISO tracks based on the loudest part, not the quietest. So if they're getting super loud in the scene, guess what? If they're starting to whisper at the beginning, it's going to be low. Because I can't go in there and say, okay, halfway through, everybody hit the pause button, and we're all going to go in, and I'm going to crank up their transmitter. 
So the lowest common denominator ends up being the lowest point in the seam. So that's what when we're for, forced with a lot of that. So yeah, that ends up being a big, big battle. And I see it a lot. But yes, I'll, I'll finish your question and then I'll answer that. It's great. Now I'm on the hot seat. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that all of you guys are like, I want to ask you about why the laughs are so noisy. Um, well, I, I would rather have, uh, for me, I'd rather have lower signal and no distortion than, right. than good sig- good good signal and then it'd get crazy. I and mean, that's, that, the, that's, that's the choice that we make, right? Um, uh, we do. We go into the first question, and then we'll get to that, but is do we go into a place? Yeah, and we do the best we can, and we go to the, go to the gaffer and, and, and say, hey, so your rigging crew was really great. They were in some really great cables, and everything's really good. The generator is 17 feet away from our location. Well, they moved it. They moved the dialogue from, it's going to be in the back of the house, but it's going to be in the front of the house now. And so, well, then we need to move the generator a full stick away because they can get it about 100 to 150 feet away without, you know. There's a lot of things that you can do now. Plus, lights don't draw as much power as they used to if you're not shooting at night and there's things you can do. But it requires really good communication, speaking to the people, not adversary. It's just all about communication. It's just like the emails and things we were talking about, you know. It's like, it's it's all a negotiation. And, and yeah, we go in and go, we can make this work. I think I got enough signal to noise. Every now and then, I try not, one of the biggest things that we've all been saying is it's about the performance. I really don't hardly ever go and say, hey, can you have them speak up a little bit? Because re- they're really whispering. I'm not really getting it. I, I, I do recall in my history of trying to do that, and I've, I was always met with this look of like, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> the reality is, is that that's not really, I mean, in my opinion, the, the actor and the director are creating the scene and we're servicing the story. If I'm going in and saying, hey, can you crank it up a little bit? That's doing a disser- that's, that's taking it out of their hands. So uh, in my opinion, it would be great if I could say, could you speak up a little bit? And, and I have done that before on certain shows where I have a relationship to do that. But for the most part, it's like, mm, I got to record it as they're doing it. So when I go to that, that location, it's like, okay, do I have enough signal to noise? And then if I don't, then I got to alert I gotta, I gotta flag the, the team, flag the team. Say you guys have got some work out of you. One Matt. thing that's one thing that's interesting too is when you work on a TV show. Again, of getting back to this communication and a team effort, like on Thrones, you know, from the uh, first season to the last season, you know, we've always worked with obviously the production people and stuff, but they've also worked with the costumers. Yeah. Because, you know, we said, hey, this season we really had a problem with these kind of outfits and where the lives were and stuff like that. And then again, it just just shooting an email or shooting a phone call, then they're, oh, yeah, well, you know, for next season, maybe we can do something different. Everybody loves to do great work, you know, so they want to hear feedback, you know. No one's scared of feedback. That's an can excellent I, Can I just quickly address oh, yeah, yeah. something that was said earlier was about, you know, quite often you'll get a producer or director come in even to the spotting session say, you know, oh, the production's really quite good. And they've only ever heard it either A, on headphones, or B, on a computer, or on near-field monitors. And they're, oh yeah, the production's quite good. And then they come into my room on a B chain that's like, are you kidding? And, um, And they're like, I never heard that. That's not my dialogue tracks. And and there's like this whole litany of, uh, you know, r- responses that you get like, oh, no, that's, you, you better check the tracks and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, this is what you've got. You, you never heard it. And now we're having to address things that you never heard. 
and it does change the, the overall quality. So like now, how do we deal with it? But that that's a reality you're all going to hear a thousand times. I never heard that. That's not my track. I've had full-on like, yeah, car buys where I'm like, no, we didn't put any car buys in. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wanted to like, because I totally understand and, and I don't think we've worked together because it sounds like I would love getting your tracks. But the, the, stuff, I'm refer- the, the stuff I'm referring to is is dialogue tracks that are just conversational, and we add 30 dB of gain to make it hearable. I actually have been running into that myself, yeah. too. And yeah, and we're getting a lot of that. And it's like, so I would personally rather you guys do mix the ISO than the mix track, because we're never going to use the mix track. And I mean, as a, as a point of, I mean, I understand, but I'm saying is those are the tracks that we use. Those are the tracks that actually make it on the screen. Um, and I know that what gets to the editors and that. So, um, and I don't, again, I don't know what's going on out there in the world, um, but I do know that we're adding, and, and we are communicating with the mixers, like on a recent film I, that's coming out soon. I mean, we were telling them, okay, you're, this one particular ISO track is literally just crapping out, square waving, and this through the entire production. And at the end of it, he said, oh, yeah, thanks for that. I'm, I sent my gear in to get fixed. And you're like, <laughs> That was after the shoot. <laughs> and we were able to piece together a track mm-hmm. that is going to be in theater soon. But that was, you know, and we're like, we're Tune trying to help. And the picture the, uh, editor was telling them and everyone. Yeah. And we had to use, and even in the mix track, that clipped sound is there. But we're trying to reconstruct it, you know, I mean, hand painting stuff. I mean. I you do know, sympathize, though, because you, you you are responsible for delivering a mixed track to editorial so that they can cut with and dailies can see. Yeah, and you got two sets of ears and, it. you know, I don't know how many mics and booms, you know, that's, yeah. When you guys grow another pair of ears, man, you're going to own this town, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that about mixing. As soon as I grow another hand out of my forehead, I'm going to run this place. Yeah, it'll be uh, awesome. I, I will say this to all of your production mixers. Don't turn your headphones up. Just leave them. You get ear fatigue is a real thing, and I, I just say this as I as I'm gaining age in the business. Um, don't don't feed the urge of wanting to turn your headphones up. I think this is a, a good transition point to open the floor to just a few questions. I think we only have a I don't know probably a good five five minutes. Anybody want to take a question or two? Ah, hi guys. Just questions only. Just ask questions. I'm going to start with you first, and you'll go. Slow. Hi, uh, my name is Chris. I'm a location sound mixer. Hey, Phil, I bought a Pelican case from you. Thank you so much. Um, Kimberly, um, I have a question for you. Um, what's a, okay. a good example for of a good location sound mix? What kind of things doesn't it have? Um, you know, what what's a good... I've never heard people say, oh, this is a good sound mix. I just hear uh, editors usually talking about the things that aren't working. What's a good sound mix? You mean coming... Com- What's what's a good example of a location sound mix? Options. Uh, you know, there is a boom track. Uh, there are ISO tracks. Uh, it's pretty. It's that's. It's pretty as simple as that. Um, I mean, a rich recording with just good signal to noise that gives us all the. Yeah, signal to noise is key. I mean, because once it's in the dither, it doesn't matter if it's digital. There's not a lot of information in the bottom. You can't extract it and have it sound warm anymore because you can't reconstruct it. You can't reconstruct those bits. It loses all the definition. And also, for what it's worth, above and beyond the, the warmth, which is, but when you're doing period pieces and there's costumes and you've got, as you were saying earlier, uh, like six layers of clothing, 
and somebody chose to put the uh, radio mic under layer five. Um, and you have no top end. And they, they, say, they always say, can you brighten that? And it's like, well, there's nothing to brighten. I mean, I can raise the top end within the recording, but it sounds really awful and weird. Um, so the, the fight for getting clarity in the radio mics when there's costume design is a really big battle, but it's an important one also. Or you, even, uh, even us, like I was doing Timeless, and they ended up in different locations in history all the time. And every location just sounded different on the radio mics because of the costuming, you know? And then we started to just get into communication with not just the production mixer, but other layers that could help that. And it, it ended up being much better because people were just aware that this was a real problem. Oh, and one other thing I forgot to mention, uh, I come across this from time to time, that some of their mixers, uh, production mixers, are doing some internal mixing, writing the gain uh, during the uh, recording. And yeah. that really uh, is very challenging for us, specifically <laughs> if we're trying to find tone. You know, we have that person's mic, and then all of a sudden uh, the volume dips, and it's like, well, where'd the backgrounds go? Where did everything else go? So find a level, set it, and you know, give it to us like that. Without, that's, that's, yeah. uh, I'm going to address that. <laughs> Please. Because, yeah, we do have to. And we do, and, and it's unavoidable because their performances change throughout. I mean, I had a perfect example was last night. <laughs> and uh, I had an actress, phenomenal actress. Every single performance was different. So if I set it and leave it, and all of a sudden, her whisper on the scene, the take previous, is a shout on this next take. I'm set for a whisper and the shout. And so I have to adjust mid-take. So you, there isn't any kind of rehearsal so that you know, you know, we don't what, rehearse you, know anymore. you know what to expect. No. And then you can no. set your limiter. And if they're no. screaming, you know. No, it's, it, re rehearsal is now take one. Okay. Let's make sure we get the now take one. This is great. This is gentleman. That's the things we need to know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the rehearsals take one, and they find the scene as we do it, and so we are constantly adapting as we go. I was taught early on when I was boom operator, camera does this, you adapt. So our job as mixers is performers do this, we adapt. I want to make sure I get this gentleman's yeah, question here at the great. end before we uh, wrap up. Here we go. Okay. So earlier you had uh, kind of talked about how, um, you know, you might be working on a single scene, kind of mix that, and the dialogue sounds great for that, and then you move to the next scene, and that one sounds great, but now the two don't really kind of gel. Um, when you're working on a, like a television series, does it, do you face kind of a similar challenge when you're doing like episode to episode? Like, you know, maybe you mix for a certain episode and it all sounds great, and then you move on to the next episode and, you know, it, it doesn't, like you get that one and they don't really mix, mix, or is that not really how the workflow goes? Or, I mean, if you're asking me, uh, it's usually more with contained within that particular, you know, like if it's a Netflix thing or something, I mean, that hour or whatever, that episode. So that that unit, that show, that piece is consistent top to bottom. Not necessarily. I mean, yes, ideally you would like it all to be consistent. And if you're not doing harm to the dialogue, really, then 
it should be consistent anyway because that voice should sound pretty similar. I mean, it'll activate a room, you know, excite a room acoustics differently, so it'll always have new characteristics depending on the space in which that person is surrounded. But, you know, it'll still sound like that person versus completely squished and not, and, you know, that that's kind of what we're saying. I, I found that with episodic, um, I... Uh, like I had Shamar uh, in, in SWAT, and he's like this major tough macho guy. And um, I used to, like, I would EQ a certain, like, warmth and richness to his voice. Um, so I would always have the editors put him on a certain, like, three tracks, the lower, lower three tracks. So I knew that I could dial in that EQ. And so from episode to episode, I knew he was going to be consistent. It would, generally speaking, the stars in an episodic are going to be pretty consistent, and it's only the guests that are really different. Um, so that's probably how, what helps episodics sound consistent overall. I mean, we don't mix them so that they, they're, they, we mix them so they're standalone, but I know that quite often now, especially with streaming and whatnot, they release stuff and it just comes as a whole package and people just you know watch numerous episodes at once. So consistency has a, has a role, but just the mere fact that the, the sets, the scenes are in locales that are very familiar quite often, and the actors are very familiar. That lends a, a certain consistency to the overall effect. And let's get this one last question here. Uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it snappy. Uh, I just wanted to ask our um, sound supervisors specifically, you're talking about the cleaning you're doing before it gets to the stage. Are you using some version of a background to do that against? Or are you just sort of guessing how deep you can go without doing damage? And is that the same for Gary? Because you're probably dealing with dialogue before there's backgrounds involved, I would guess. Well, we don't, we don't necessarily attack. We don't pre-dub the show. But we know there's challenge scenes. For example, we go, OK, this is, this is going to be a problem. I mean, it's, a lot of it's just doing it for a really long time, after over 20. 25 years now or something, and you just go, all right, there's going to be a problem. There's not enough pre-dub days for someone. I mean, this would be our pre-dub days, so let me see if I can help them out. And just knowing, and knowing, yeah, I mean, usually we have a temp dub underhand as well. I can play against that. Um, but it's still a do-no-harm approach, and it may work, it may not. It's just to give the mixer an option to go, you know, because I deliver, here's everything raw. And you know, we usually do an A-B comparison, and sometimes we, re we go, you know, this one clip, maybe it's too much, or let's try. And, and we'll have three people attack it. But there's, like you were saying, there's a handful of people I trust to actually go in and do that. Um, and a lot of times, I'll have editors that are really you know, very pro proactive, and we'll do that. And I'll be like, great, and mute it, and do a, a different version. Or, you know, and sometimes that version's better, but usually not, because it's kind of a one one-stop approach because they've got to cut the track you know so i usually will try and divvy it up like let's cut it and make sure it's cut well because that's the key and then we'll see if we have time to clean specific areas and then also just just listening to that um that clip that you want to treat if you listen to the original and then you listen to the treated version you can tell that one has a vibrancy and if a lot of that vibrancy is taken away by processing it, and I think that you've gone a little too far with right. it. It's that simple. For what it's worth, I, we don't do temp dubs much anymore. And I wrote a paper about this years ago called The Value of Temp Dubs. And one of the greatest values is that um, 
what you're talking about. When I start mixing, if there's a temp dub that's already been done, and so there's an effect stem, there's a music stem, there's a dialogue stem. When I start doing my dialogue, I'm listening to the temp effect stem and music stem, even if it's a couple of dB down or whatever, but I, A, know where the music is, but more importantly, I know what the coverage is for me, where the where the safe zones are, and and how much I have to dig out, and how much. So and then after I've done the dialogue, and you start doing the backgrounds and hard effects, you take that effects stem out, but the dialogue is already sitting in a place that you know it's going to work with the effects. Excellent. Thank you guys so very much, and I want to thank everybody for coming and and, and supporting us here. <laughs>